started. It's always interesting to see how things get spaced out. Um, I guess y'all are spaced out. Say, you're not spaced out. You people like each other. You're all real close together. (laughs) On this side, nobody's within five seats of the other one over here. So it's just kind of funny to see because everybody's clustered there and not there. So uh, anyway, (laughs) I know. I know. There's the... (laughs) distance yourself okay all right if you would open your bibles this morning to second timothy and it's the third chapter and the 15th verse second timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 Uh, this is a, a beautiful passage that we're heading into many of us cut our teeth on three passages to start every bible class that we had ever ever heard the first one was the word of god is alive and powerful Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints of the marrow, and it's a judge of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The next verse we heard is Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be mature and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The third verse we heard was Second Timothy 2.15. Which is study to show yourself approved unto God as workmen that do not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Occasionally somebody would throw in there, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Beautiful verses to start any any Bible class, and, and uh, that should be a part of us. shouldn't be just a ritualistic idea, but... The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is indeed all-inspired, and it is indeed worthy of our study. And that's part of what we're looking at here today is 3.15, and we'll start 16. We're going to take a little time with that uh, because we've heard it quite frequently and uh, sometimes never unpacked it. What is it really saying? What is it What is it teaching? And it's it's got some good depth to it. So let's take a few moments, first of all, for prayer to be sure that we are ready to study God's Word. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, again for your blessings, your test. Thank you again for the living Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for the written Word, where you chose to reveal Him and your plan to us. And for both of those, we cannot ever thank you enough. We pray, Father, as we dine upon your written word today that will take us closer to the living word that we may grow in our appreciation for him. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And we're at uh, 2 Timothy 3.15. This chapter, again, is a study of what to look for in the last days. The first, first four verses were... 20 things to look for in the last days. You're able to identify them because they're going on in an unparalleled degree. When we get to the second class today, we're going to see that one of the things that happens in the last days when it's time for judgment is whenever sins become open and flagrant and nobody's even embarrassed by them anymore. It's kind of interesting that that's the way it's become in this nation. And then we find, we move to uh, the form of godliness he speaks about in verse 5. And then we start looking at the facades of this form of godliness, how it 
presents itself. It means it's just a fraud. It's a fake. It's not the real thing, but it's a form of godliness, but they've denied the power of godliness. And the first thing we see is that they prey on the weak. They believe, see, that's evolutionary theory, isn't it? Survival of the fittest. So why not go after the weak and pray on them? Praying, especially it says on on uh, widows, on, on old ladies. And I hate to pick on old ladies, but the Bible calls you old ladies and calls us old men. And we get old. Then that's a blessing from God that we can have that adjective attached to us. He's given us the grace to live for a period of time. And we should be uh, happy about that. The next thing is intellectualism. Ever learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then they learn how to manipulate. And I think about this because it's amazing how adept a lot of the con men have got at manipulation. Uh, I don't know if you get the phone calls or not about the, uh, uh, let's say, your car warranty is about to expire. You can have fun with them. I sold my car, don't have one. Bye, and they don't even say bye. It's just goodbye, and they're gone. Uh, let's see, what else have they come up with lately besides the the car warranty deal? I got one. <clears throat> I've had an ongoing <clears throat> conversation with it. So I think the same guy. He's calling from India, and he snuck up on me the first time. This is this is uh, U.S. Medicare. I need to talk to you a minute about certain things. Have you got your new Medicare card yet? Well, yes, and I got schnickerdoodled on that. He said, would you confirm that number for us to be sure you've got the the new one? And like an idiot, I did. And then he started saying, well, now your primary doctor, and he said, who's your primary doctor? I gave him that, and he said, now, do you know that you're you're available to get uh, several pieces of equipment through Medicare at no charge to you? And I said, this is a scam. I don't want anything to do with this. I don't need any pieces of, of equipment. I don't want it for free. They're not useful to me. And he says, this has been an ongoing everyday call now for about three weeks. And he calls me back and he says, is this Chuck Freeman? Whose primary doctor is Mark Knox? Da, 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 you know, I was like, I'm not talking to you. Well, why not? I mean, this didn't, we've gone back and forth. So anyway, I'm, uh, that's one of the things that I have run into, and I got caught on it. So don't get caught on it. I mean, it's just I called the doctor's office one, and then they started spoofing the doctor's office number. Yeah. So I said, you know, I've I've got the Medicare fraud line. I've already reported you, and anything comes across my Medicare report, guess what? You're going to jail. <laughs> they still won't leave me alone. So <clears throat> anyway, that's the nature of manipulation. That's a rabbit trail I didn't need to go down. Anyway, manipulation. And then how to handle the facades, the fakes that are out there, preying on the weak, <clears throat> the intellectualism. It'll come back in just a second. <clears throat> Perseverance. First thing we got to do, like Timothy did, hang on. Hang on. Then look at past history. The past history is the Lord's going to deliver you. You got here this far. He has delivered you. And Paul is confident. 
He's going to do it again. He's going to take... You know what? Sometimes people say, well, gosh, I could die. Isn't that the ultimate deliverance for a believer? There's a song out from the 80s that said, at the ultimate healing, I'll be home free. That's when a believer dies. That's the ultimate healing. Pray for healing. Yeah, and sometimes the ultimate one is, guess what? In the presence of the Lord. Paul had that attitude. So, yeah, pray for physical healing now. But the ultimate healing, I'll be home free. Then he says, prepare for persecution. It's coming this way. It's already started. It is not going to let up because we find out that these people are going to go from bad to worse in the last days. They are cutting a path. They are carving a path with liberal theology. Why is that evil? Because it denies the authority of Scripture, for one thing. They're cutting a path, and they just keep chopping away at this forest until uh, when the rapture happens and when all the Christians are gone, there is no restrainer left on this, this earth. Prepare for more persecution. And then verse 14 is want to win. Want to win this battle. We are in a battle for our lives, the hearts and souls of men. Do you want to win it? Do you want to win it in your own life? Do you want it won in your family's life? In your kid's life? Your grandkids' life? Do you want to win the battle? Because it's easy to fold up the tents and hide. Uh, Hunker down, if you will. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to stand firm. And verse 15, where we left off, proceed in faith. Continue on in faith. Now, <clears throat> there's a salvation, if you will, a deliverance. Because the word salvation means deliverance from participating in these deeds of darkness and following along with these manipulators. It says that from childhood. The word childhood is uh, brephos, which is literally an infant used eight times in the New Testament. Interesting use of this word because it's used of the Lord as an infant in the manger after he'd already exited the womb. And it's used of John the Baptist in his mother's womb, already called a brephos. One of the big arguments for the fact that life's already started in the womb. It's already started in the womb. The only difference is just a few minutes. That's the only difference when that child is ready to be born. He says, that from an infant, you have known, oida, you've known from experience. Timothy, you've watched this. You have known the sacred writings. The word sacred here is hieros. It's not a hagios word at all. This means it comes out of the inner sanctum. It is of the, of the uh, temple uh, presence. It's of the tabernacle presence from the inner from you have known that which comes from the inner sanctum that's why it's called sacred and it's looking specifically at that which is inspired of God which is going to be spelled out in the next verse he said you have known the sacred grammas writings which is the word for uh, basically uh, grammar we get from it it is a word that is basic meaning is to write something But in this context, it is Scripture. The writings of Scripture. Now, which which Holy Scriptures 
are able, this is the perfect uh, present passive participle, are being able, they, that's an ongoing type of process, dunamai have the inherent power that is found within them to give you wisdom. This is all, there's, the word give is not here. You'd expect a verb here in Sophia, the noun with it, but it's the Greek word noun, uh, verb rather, sophizo. And it's only used two times. Second Peter 1.16 is the other place that this, that this uh, verb is used. And I mean, sophizo, D-O endings on the end of Greek verbs is causative. So it says to cause you wisdom. The sacred <coughs> scriptures have an inherent power to cause wisdom in you. When you study them, that's what it's about. See, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, has already been written in this book. So in the context, it requires some study. It's not just some things that, that you've got, but he says you can start teaching children as an infant the, the important things of God. You, you can do that. To give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Literally, to cause you wisdom, namely the wisdom, which uh, the wisdom concerning salvation, which is the preposition ice, meaning into or concerning soteria salvation through <coughs> faith. How, you, how are you saved? They're able to save you, receive the word implanted that's able to save your soul, written in James, first chapter, the first book written of the New Testament. Receive the word implanted that is able to save your soul, to regenerate, to regenerate you. And he says, the writings of Scripture is what gives us the information to have faith that leads to salvation from the penalty for sin and salvation from the power of sin, both. Once those are accomplished, Salvation from the penalty for sin. One day we're all guaranteed salvation from the presence of sin. We won't in heaven. There's not going to be any in us or outside of us. No sin whatsoever. We can, can you imagine that? It's it's hard to imagine. Can you observe sin on a regular basis? Just drive across town and look at people's lips move as they're talking to the drivers in the car next to them. You can you can observe it on a you don't have to read lips to have some idea what they're talking about, <coughs> which is in Christ Jesus. In plus the dative is the object of our faith, Messiah, Jesus. Now, <coughs> when when a sentence is grammatically difficult, Timothy, Second Timothy, have both been pretty easy grammatically getting up to this point in time. This is a little bit different because of the words used, the the, the use of the verb, sophizo, is one of the things. And then uh, some translators don't want to translate it. Uh, some words they add into other words instead of realizing that they're different. And many times when you find this, they're doing it to promote a particular theological point that they want to promote. So the some of the translators, sadly, they all have sin natures, and so some of the translators go, hey, this is a chance that I can put one of my points in here. It's just like the word sovereign is not found anywhere in the Bible, but now it is. <laughs> First Timothy 6, uh, 10 or 12 
in through there and then they translated now may the one and only sovereign god it's not a word for sovereignty it's a word for omnipotence that's used and they just decided hey i'll slip sovereign in there and then nobody can say sovereign is not used in there okay now they haven't slipped trinity in yet um there, you, you have to prove that separately and individually. There isn't a word for Trinity. And so, can you prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is three in one? Can you do that? And if the answer is yes, it becomes a doctrine. And that's the way that those things work. But there's not a word that goes, goes uh, with it like that. Now, <clears throat> Timothy was taught by his mother and grandmother. Who taught him? Second Timothy 1. Verse 5 and 6, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Their apostles in the early church had that ability to do that. But he says, kindle afresh. Get the flame going. Sometimes it wants to go out in all of us. Kindle it afresh. Go to the Lord and ask him to do it, and he will, he will do it. Children are never too young to start learning the Holy Scriptures. Okay? And that's, that's important. That's what this thing says, because it's talking about one in the womb and one outside of the womb. I'm not sure they can hear you inside of the womb, but they certainly will respond to... Uh, they'll respond to various stimuli outside of the womb while they're in there. long time ago, believe it or not, I, I was in a rock band, and the, uh, uh, we were doing a New Year's Eve gig in Clinton, Oklahoma, and uh, uh, Helen was carrying Jennifer, and we uh, practiced over there one night, and when we hit, I'm going to wait till the midnight hour, some of you can sing that song with me along there. We hit that first note, and Jennifer started dancing. And <laughs> Helen was about five months along, and Jennifer picked up on it. So there are responses, reflex motility, as some would call it. And then, you know, the, the Lord uh, brings that forth. But grandmother and mom began to teach him. What did they teach him? They taught him the Old Testament because it was completed. Timothy, see, is about 62 A.D. So it is in the epistles of Paul, last epistle of Paul. He'll die in a couple of years. And John doesn't start writing his books until the 80s sometime. So you don't have that and uh, probably don't have the book of Hebrews yet. There are things that they weren't able to teach him, but they were able to teach him all the Old Testament and teach him uh, the book of James and was in 46 A.D. And, and possibly 1st 2nd Thessalonians. Maybe that's what they had taught him. But it's easy to realize Timothy is older than 16 years old at this time. Or he wouldn't be pastor of the church at Ephesus. So he is, he's been taught by what is already there. Now, <clears throat> the word of God contains the inherent power to cause wisdom from above in the hearer. James chapter 3, again, the first book of the New Testament. And it says that, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, uh, by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy, 
and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be so arrogant and lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly and it's natural and demonic. What is this selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, arrogance and lying? That's demonic is what he just said. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now what is the wisdom that leads to salvation? We know it is the gospel, but it starts with realizing you can't save yourself for eternity. Some simple things that people need to decide. Can, do I need a savior or can I save myself? Because most of the world's religions, in fact all of them, but Christianity, show you a way to save yourself. And a lot of them, only a way to save yourself in time. Nothing to do with eternity. It has the inherent power. To cause wisdom from above in the hearer. Satan has the ability to produce his own scripture, if you will, to impart the wisdom from below. Now we move over to see what Peter has to say. And he says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. This is sophizo. This is our other use of the word, which is the word for wisdom in a causative verb form. He said, which they translated, cleverly devised tales. It's an earthly wisdom. The only two usages of Sophizo looks at an earthly wisdom and a divine wisdom. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter makes that very clear. Now this wisdom concerns salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Paul spells it out. He's already spelled it out in Ephesians 2. So these things are already spelled out quite, quite clearly. Now, handling the facades. And what about the last days? Why do you think this verse about inspiration is put in a context of the last days? Because that actually flows over a bit into chapter 4. When Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. Why put this here? Because in the last days, the word of God is going to be probably my guess. It doesn't say it clearly out, but it's going to be so maligned, so attacked. So many people will be falling from the faith and drifting off course from the faith because it's in the last days. Why is it put in this context? I believe because it's telling us this is the big problem in the last days. This is the big problem. Because without the word of God and realizing it's inerrancy, realizing it's authority, recognizing it's accuracy, you can't fight the devil today. You can't do it. You'll find yourself on his side one way or another. Now verse 16, verse 16 <clears throat> says all scripture. Now, did it say part of the scripture? Or all of it? It says all scripture. All the writing. Grama, literally, is what the Greek says. All the writing. Okay. But what kind of writing is it? 
is inspired by God, which is theopneustos. Now, this is a compound word. Theos, the word for God, and neustos, which means breathed or spirited. Say the word for holy, or the word for spirit is pneuma. So it's God spirited is what it is saying. God breathed. He is our He is our breath. And He says all Scripture is God breathed. I like that better than inspired by God. Uh, and it's more literal with the word. Now, how many times is this word used? Once. How many times is it used outside the Bible? Never. Except to refer back to this verse. Now, people started using it and picking it up and counterfeiting it later on. But at this point in history, there wasn't any uses of this word outside of this verse. And early on in the first century, second century A.D., the only references to this word were, were references to this verse that it's talking about. It is special. He says, and profitable. Now, profitable is ophelimos. It's used four times. And it means profitable in the sense of useful. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. You say, well, I just can't find any use in all those genealogies. Genesis 5, Genesis 10. How about Chronicles? Well, if you get to ripping through the Bible pretty good and you hit Chronicles, that's a good one to jump over, isn't it? <clears throat> You know, all the genealogies and people say, I don't need to read all those genealogies. What did this just say? All genealogies are God-breathed. <laughs> oh, isn't that amazing? Maybe there's some value and use in there. And the answer to that is, not maybe, there is. It's up to us to find out what it is. Because in there we find the line of the Messiah, the unbroken line from Adam until Messiah. We find that unbroken line that gives him the rights to kingship, that unbroken line that takes us back to Adam, that in Adam, that unbroken line takes us back to Abraham. We find the dots connected all the way from Adam to Abraham and you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed promise to Abraham, there it is, the seed of Abraham. And <clears throat> see, that it says it is profitable, it is useful. So we have, even those genealogies have useful things. I think it's Second Chronicles 4, um, two little verses about Jabez. Totally out of place in the genealogy. And then, of course, somebody takes it totally out of context. <laughs> And turns it into a bestseller, which is used by a lot of people uh, in a way that is kind of like uh, kind of like a magic charm. Okay, I'm going to use it this way, and God's going to make me rich. Well, we the exegesis of those two verses are beautiful. They are truly beautiful. The prayer of Jabez and what he's really asking for. He's not asking for physical wealth at all and if you understand that you see how great it really is but some people say well you know I, re I know Solomon Solomon could have got anything what he asked for wisdom Lord give me wisdom give me wisdom then you can make me rich <laughs> see God reveals the manipulation he doesn't fall prey to it <laughs> and we're not going to manipulate him 
He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's who he is. So if we try to go in front of the throne of grace and we've got a hidden agenda going on back here, trying to use the right words, didn't fool him for a heartbeat. You know, sometimes our kids can fool us. They get real good at it. They get real good pulling on the heartstrings and everything else. God doesn't fall for that at all. And if we realize that, we look silly when we go, you know, if we re- we would look silly to ourselves if we went in, okay, God, I'm trying to fool you. I want a new car, and this is what I'm praying for. So, I mean, it's, it's foolish to do such a thing as that. So, he says it is profitable for what four things? It's one of the questions in our foundations book, making people go back and take a look at what the Bible has to say. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For what purpose? So the man of God might be mature and thoroughly furnished for all good works. So once we're saved, we're not, uh, we're not to lay down our tools, so to speak, and not produce any good works. Once we're saved, then we can really produce some good works and do it to the glory of the Lord, which is vastly different than a lot of people like to do it. But the first word is uh, we see doctrine in English. A lot of them goes for teaching. Didascalia is the word that is used. Commonly translated as doctrine. I learned the verse as doctrine. I still use it that way. But doctrine basically is a teaching. And is a teaching from what? These holy scriptures that Timothy had learned from his youth. So doctrine is established by the Holy Scriptures. That's what establishes doctrine. Then it says for reproof. This is the word alegmos. Alegmos has the sense of conviction or exposure. Reproof is that which exposes that which is wrong. Okay, so doctrine is the teaching that we need. It's the criteria that God sets. He says this is right, this is wrong, this is, this is how you should think. This is doctrine. Okay, that's the criteria. Reproof is correction or, ex- or exposure. It's a comparison. It, reproof is a comparison with what the doctrine is, for what, the, what it actually says. So the, it is a comparison with the criteria. That's what reproof is. That is the word, the third word is for correction. And this is the word, apana orthosis and it is a restoration to an upright state huh for correction apana orthosis orthotic we get from it now a lot of you saw me walking around bent over like this for several months and by the grace of God I'm able to stand up straight now only by the grace of God, and I'm able to stand. That's what a panorthosis is about. It's about making a correction for doctrine, for reproof, exposure of the wrongs by means of a comparison to a criteria, for <coughs> uh, correction, which is um, uh, restoring to an upright state so you can walk properly, for training. Training is paideia, which is the training of a child concerning character. Now, had Timothy been trained? Context just says he was. Mom and grandmother were heavily involved 
in Timothy's training. And so Paul has a lot of confidence in this young man. Not just because he was trained properly, but because he's trying to live it himself. Paideia is the training of a child concerning their character for training in righteousness. Now notice a couple things. Inspired by God concerning the scripture, that's God's choice. He chose to do this. He chose to reveal his word. It is inspired by God, so that's God's choice. But is it profitable or not? That's your choice. Are we going to see that as profitable and recognize it as profitable? All scripture is profitable. That's where we get involved in this. We don't get involved in the inspiration of it. We have no part whatsoever, but when it says it's profitable, it's like, here it is, are you going to use it? That's up to you. So, doctrine is the criteria. Exposure, or this uh, uh, reproof, is the comparison. Restoration, okay, is the compliance. Okay, when we look at this third thing here, standing upright, restoring to an upright state, that's the compliance. And training is consistency. So look at those four things. All scripture is profitable for setting the criteria, comparing with other events or actions or thoughts, compliance to an upright state, getting ourselves back together, and consistency in it, training in righteousness beautiful absolutely beautiful verse that is that is found here now all scripture includes every letter in the original manuscripts all scripture includes every letter in the original manuscripts and when you start thinking about this what is he saying there because there there is no when when the bible makes a universal statement like this is all scripture only the Bible can make an exception to it. It's the only one with the authority to make an exception. What, what about all have sinned and fallen short of the, gla- the grace of God? Now, who is the all? That's all of us. Is there an exception? Yes, that the Bible makes. In him was found no sin. Jesus Christ didn't have any sin. So when it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible specifically excludes Christ and it has the authority to do so. Now when it says all scripture, nothing is excluded in here. It's scripture. How long had the Old Testament been set? By the time that this was written, over 400 years. The Jews knew the 39 books in the Old Testament. They'd been in agreement on it for 39 years. They didn't add the apocryphal books. They didn't add the pseudepigraphal books that were written between 400 and and 100 A.D. They didn't add any of those because they weren't inspired of God and they knew it. And so... Here, they had, that had been inspired, and, they, and they, they valued every word. The Jews understood that. When they started, I've told you before, when they started copying the manuscripts, they counted the letters in them. They understood every single word. Now, they got a little too deep into it when they took the fact that an Aleph is a 1, and a Bait is a 2, and a Gimel is a is a three, and then they started taking the words apart into the very letters. Now, the letters form the words, but the letters by themselves, unless it is a single letter word, don't mean that. 
So they started going above and beyond and therefore allegorizing it by doing such a thing through numerology. And that's not what it's called to do. But all the words, all the sentences, all the structure, all the word order, all the concepts, all the people, all the places, all the things, and all the events is all inspired. Or it wouldn't be in there. Now, it would be nice if academia, scholarly world, in theology, could recognize that. This verse says it. So come with a refutation of this verse. And I'm not talking about from contradictions in the Bible found on the internet search that's done by people who haven't got a clue what a contradiction is. And they're looking for things to make contradictions. Now, there's an explanation. If two verses seem to contradict, it's because we're not understanding one or both of them properly. Then it's a handling accurately the word of truth. If you believe it's all inspired, you're going to look for the harmony in the scripture. You're going to compare scripture with scripture. And you're going to find what that harmony is if you're praying for wisdom to understand this thing. And that's what Solomon starts Proverbs off. I'm going to teach you the the sayings of a wise man, the riddles. How do you figure things out when things don't seem to make sense and two events are true and they seem to contradict? How do you figure things out? And that's part of the Part of the process of the book of Proverbs, he tells us in the first seven verses of of that book. Now, it is God-breathed in a unique way. It is God-breathed in a unique way. The word is used only one time to describe the inspiration of Scripture. So it is God-breathed in a unique way. How do you take 40 different authors that were scattered over 1,500 years writing from five continents. How do you take peasants, kings, fishermen, prophets? How do you take uh, uh, good people, bad people? How do, you, how do you take these all together and get an inspired, coherent word? Only God could do that. Only God could take this and put together the same message of redemption that is found from Genesis through Revelation. The fact is, you can't save yourself, you need a Savior. And here is the one it presents, the only one qualified to be the object of faith. So it is all profitable in the sense of useful. All scripture is profitable in the sense of useful. Now we need to distinguish between the good and the best as we journey through life. You know, wasn't there a tree of the knowledge of good and evil? <laughs> it wasn't the tree of the knowledge of the best and evil, was it? It's good and evil he's talking about. So here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.23 is the passage. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. In other words, some things are legal, some things are not. Legal, if it's legal, it's good. Okay? In a sense, but it may not be edifying. All things are lawful, because Paul writing no more under the Mosaic law. Okay, that's what he's saying. 
But not all things edify. Some things don't build up. It's lawful, as he's describing in this context, for me to go down and eat meat sacrificed to idols. It doesn't bother me. In fact, it's the best place to get a good steak. So if I want some good meat, I'm going to go down to the idol market, probably witness to a few people while I'm down there. This is Paul's thinking. Probably witness to a few people because he didn't leave any stone unturned, if you will. If he saw an opportunity, he went after it, and he's talking to the people at the idol market. And then some of the Christians, though, said, oh, this meat offered to idols, I don't want to eat it. And they turned it into a legalism. And he said, it's an idol. Idols are nothing. They can't hear, they can't smell, they can't taste, they can't, they're, they're zero. They're just wood, they're rock, they're marble, whatever they are, they're nothing. So why should I worry about meat offered to them? They're all lawful, but they're not profitable. If I'm in the presence of a weaker brother, who this is a big deal to, then they're not profitable. So I want to do that which is best. What is the best? Consider my brother. That's what he's teaching in this this section. What is best is I consider my brother. I love my neighbors myself. I don't want to put an invalid stumbling block in front of my brother. I don't want to do that. Because that's what is best. So... We have to distinguish between the good and the best as we journey through this life. We have people on mission fields all over the place. And I was speaking with somebody about this. may have been at breakfast yesterday. I don't remember. But uh, when, uh, oh, it was actually at uh, lunch Friday. And um, the first mission trip I took in 93 to India um, good friend Gene Cunningham was there and he had a buddy with him and, and uh, who I thought was Indiana Jones when I first saw him and um, they got there a week or so before I did in India and they actually said we're going to go down to Mother Teresa's place in Calcutta because that's where we landed and said they went down there and she happened to be in and said come on back and so they had a conversation they had a conversation with her and they said what piece of advice would you give us, because this is our first trip to India, what piece of advice would you give us uh, as we go to evangelize? And she said, don't try to change India physically. It's a spiritual problem. You don't go in there and tell them to get their clothes on. You don't go in there and start giving a whole bunch of of moral statements and all that because it's a spiritual issue that they're facing which I thought interesting coming from a Catholic but she said you can't change them people keep coming in here and you need to change from the inside out not the outside in because that's the way it works anyways great piece of advice because they told me that when I got there and I said boy that makes all the sense in the world doesn't it So you go in there and you don't try to change the way that they worship. You don't try to take the drums out of the ceremony. (laughs) You don't don't try to teach them amazing grace in English that they don't understand. There's certain things that you just don't do. They're useless to them. So you stay away from the form and you go to the function. And you use their forms to teach godly functions. And it can be done. And the wise missionaries, that's what they thats what they do. It is God-breathed in a unique way. And 
it is all profitable in the sense of useful. Because godliness is profitable. We do a quick look through the scriptures and we find out a, a, where this word profitable shows up. And what the scriptures tell us is what God views as profitable. Because, if, boy, if we turn that all scripture is profitable, ask a televangelist what that means. It could be a whole different definition of profit. Completely different definition. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it says 1 Timothy 4.8, bodily discipline is only of little profit. Now that's nice to know. It's good to keep your body in shape. It's good to exercise. It's good to do all those things. But how much profit? A little profit. Okay? It's important, but it's not the most important thing. But godliness is also profitable for all things because it holds promise for the present life and also for the one to come. That's what godliness is good for. It's profitable for things that lead into eternity. Godliness is profitable. And what about our verse? Scripture is profitable. <laughs> All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. It's useful for teaching, for criteria setting, for comparison with the criteria, for compliance with the criteria, and for consistency in the criteria. And we find out that good works are profitable. Titus 3.8 Yeah, they are. Good works are profitable. It won't save your soul. Titus 3.8 Titus 3 makes that so clear. It starts back in verse 5. We're not saved on the basis of deeds we have done in righteousness. I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. And people still want to add works into salvation from the penalty for sin so they can get into heaven. And there's verses all over that say, they're not going to save you. But because you are saved, how do you say thank you to God? How do you say thank you to God? Titus 3.8, it's a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently. So that those who have believed God may be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So now that we're saved, what do we do? Be careful. Pay attention. Logizo, consider it. Think about it. Figure out how to do it. How can I do something good for someone today? That's... That's not a bad uh, approach to life, is it? How can I do something good for someone today in the name of Christ? In the name of Christ. Because there is a whole lot of human good going on all over the planet right now that is not done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's done in the name of NGOs, non-government organizations. It's done in the name of, of uh, non-profit organizations. It's done in the name of this so they'll build up their coffers all the more. And it's insidious a lot of times in the way it is done. But it's all profitable for doctrine. That's where we'll start next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for your word. We cannot thank you enough. It is the guidebook. It is the criteria 
on which we should base our understanding, our morality, issues of right and wrong, issues of good and better and best. And Father, we just pray that you would uh, indeed teach us these things. and Let us be trained in your righteousness so that we can be proper witnesses to those who are hurting in this world. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.